Welcome to Infinite Fellowship Ministries, where we train believers to know and to pursue God's perfect will, so as to yield fruit for His kingdom. Here's a sermon by the Reverend Geoffrey Mushai. Good morning. Sorry, good afternoon. It's five minutes past uh, the afternoon. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, it is an honor to stand before you today even as uh, the sound team helped me out. And I'm really glad with how service has gone so far. God is a God of intentionality. God is very intentional. Today I don't want to rush. Please allow me today not to rush. Uh, after service last Sunday, I remember confiding with Dan and I told him this is something God was about to do and I, I, my, my, my heart, my spirit did not depart from this place. Even though service ended, but there was something God placed deeply in my heart that he wanted to do and I asked that he would have mercy on me that that which he desires to do in the lives of his people would be fulfilled today. And so... I may not be so structured today, so kindly bear with me. My aim and my desire is for us to capture why everything that has been said has been said. In fact, I was, I was laughing with, with Sarah and just uh, up, uh, uploading the Reverend Richard because, and also just celebrating what Bishop has said because in essence, the sermon God gave me has been taught. What God wanted to say has been shared but there's a level of understanding that I have come to appreciate in the ways of God that we cannot get into without certain things being broken down to us. And the reason I'm standing here in service is not over is because God wants us to understand why the chastisement, the discipline, why the admonition. Are we together? When the Reverend Richard grouped us, and the groupings is also not coincidental, and you'll get to learn that shortly. I was just thinking about what I have been focusing on as a believer. Uh, there are many great things God has spoken to me about prophetically. And when I was just thinking about that, I was struggling to, to write what I'm focus, focusing on right now because in my consideration and in my journey, I realized that every prophetic word that God has spoken to me has a focal point. A focal point being a centerpiece from which everything finds expression. And in my journey to discover that, I got to the place of understanding that the focal point of the manifestation of everything God has said to me is sonship. It is sonship. If I am able to capture sonship, if I am able to grow as a son, if I'm able to capture the dimensions of Christ, then nothing that God has said about me will not come to pass. And not just, because you see, prophetic words, as I've come to learn at the beginning of a certain chapter in your life, meaning that within that chapter, there's greater content that needs to be decoded. And so more often than not, we focus so much on the subject title and we miss out on the meat of the matter. And today I want us to be able to get to the place of understanding why we need to focus on sonship. Why God speaks the great and wonderful promises he does. 
So we've been going through a series and today will mark as the conclusion and my prayer is that we'll be able to capture the heart as to why God gave me this series for us to consider. Today I'll be covering three uh, elements or three patterns uh, that relate to sonship. Uh, and the reason why I'm introducing them all at a go is because they are very difficult to disconnect, to be very honest. There are, there are so many similarities between the three of them, but I will try in my limited capacity to break them down so that we can be able to fully digest them. The three patterns I'll be covering today is the mystery of the Son of Man, who is the Son of God, the mystery of the head and the body, and the mystery of the groom and the bride. The son of man that is the son of God. The head and the body, the groom and the bride. And to just uh, lay the context uh, from the word of God, I want us to turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 to 32. This will be the backdrop of everything that I'll be saying. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 32, I'll be reading from the New King James Version, so kindly follow with me from uh, whatever version is rendered on the screen. So wives, submit to your, to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by, water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. And so another scripture just to have at the back of our minds is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. 1 Corinthians Chapter 6, verse 17, and this is what it says. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. He who is joined unto the Lord is one spirit with him. I've been taking time to understand a few things that God has said. God has called Kenya the springboard of revival. God has called us the Joshua generation. God has talked about this revival that will break out. And in trying to understand some of these words that God has spoken, I, I, I took time to look at the early church, the early church that walked with Jesus. The, the, the disciples walked with Jesus and they were commissioned by Jesus. They were told, wait in Jerusalem until the Spirit is poured out to you. And that happened on the day of Pentecost. They received the Spirit of God. 
And after they received the Spirit of God, they devoted themselves to the ministry of the Word, to prayer. And as they devoted themselves to that ministry, as they submitted and as they surrendered to the Holy Spirit, signs and wonders followed. The first sign and the first wonder that we read of is the man who was crippled at the temple. And after James and John, sorry, Peter and James, if I'm not wrong, ministered to him, it generated a lot of controversy. But the miracle could not be denied. And so they were warned and told, don't repeat that. But the story continued. They continued to pray. They continued to wait upon God. And you know what happened? Many signs and wonders started to be multiplied and to be witnessed among them. People would come to them with all forms of ailments and they would experience healing. These guys became so powerful. They became such a movement that all of a sudden the Pharisees started to take a lot of, you know, they started, they started to take them seriously. And because of all that they were doing, the disciples were arrested because they were being effective as sons of God. They were arrested. And after they were arrested, guess what happened? An angel came and opened the cell doors and they continued to minister. And all these things that were happening were continuing to enrage the Pharisees, the religious order of the day. They continued, they continued, they, they, they continued to minister to, to people who were suffering different ailments and the persecution only continued to grow. All of a sudden, apart from being you know, put in chains, they started being beaten. And it is in the day of Stephen that they started being killed. I don't know whether we are aware of this progression. You see, the early church was so effective in their ministry that the only way to silence them was to kill them. The early church was so effective that when the Pharisees looked, the religious order of the day looked, the only way to stop what was happening was to kill them. And it is when Stephen was killed that the great persecution arose against the church. And in considering this, I realized many other times as believers, we claim that we do not want to be persecuted. Many other times we are conservative in our faith. But when I look at the pattern of the early church, yes. I see a significant disconnection. These guys did not go looking for persecution. It is their effectiveness that generated the persecution. They were so effective in the marketplace. In fact, I believe it's in Acts around chapter 5 that we read of how Peter's shadow would heal people. As in, they noticed as Peter was going to the temple, wherever his shadow, was, his shadow would pass, anyone who was there would receive healing. That is the weight of divine element that they were carrying. And I, I have come to realize as believers these days, we are so afraid of persecution but we have not generated the kind of fire that these believers were working in that actually triggered that level of persecution such that their lives were under threat. You see, many believers are afraid. But in this fear, they fall short of realizing the kind of devotion that they are meant to have. 
unto the Lord. I want us to, to also consider something along these lines. I want us to turn to the book of Matthew chapter 26 and we'll read from verse 62 to 65. And I want us to understand why really was Jesus crucified? What was the reason that gave the Pharisees that right to crucify him? Matthew chapter 26 from verse 62 to 65. And the high priest arose and said to him, Do you answer nothing? You see, at this point in time, they had been trying to generate sufficient evidence to, 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 to give them what, the, the excuse they needed to crucify him. They had brought in false witnesses, but all of these witnesses could not even agree on what he had done and what he had said. One of them said, oh, this guy had threatened to destroy this temple and to rebuild it in three days. But that didn't have enough weight. You, you know, some of the excuses that were being given were sufficient to say, Jesus is mad. Let him just do his thing. But the Pharisees were looking for that excuse to kill him. Why? Because Jesus was so effective in his ministry. They could not pin him down in his words. They could not put him down. Even when they threatened to kill him, he was still effective. Do you answer nothing? The high priest said to him. What is it this man testify against you? But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. So Jesus up until this time was silent. When they were doing everything, he did not respond. And so they asked him a very clear question. Are you the Son of God? And Jesus said to him, It is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you hereafter, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have of witness, witnesses? Look now, you have heard this blasphemy. Put in another way, the reason why Jesus was crucified was because he's, he gave witness to the fact that he was the son of God. Are we together? It was not because of every other thing that he had done. It was because he was the son of God. But his response is very interesting. His response is such that, you know, I am the son of God. It is as you've said. But beyond that, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power. So, Son of God, Son of Man, who exactly are you? You see, we need to understand that there is a mystery that is encoded within who you and I are in Christ. There is a mystery, and this mystery is the reality of you being both a son of God and a son of man. As a son of God, part of what that means is that you contain the DNA of God. You contain the DNA of God. You have the spirit of God. You have the ability to be a carrier of God's divine nature and character. That is part of what it means for you to be a son of God. 
You see, we are sons of God by virtue of adoption. If we go to the book of Romans 8, 14 to 15, this is what it says. That as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. You see, the, the interesting thing about our identity as sons of God is that when we are born again, when we receive the spirit of God, the spirit of God bears witness within us that we are sons of God. Come on. That in itself is a miracle. Yes. That in itself is a miracle when we consider the totality of who God is. You see, when you receive the Spirit of God, you receive God's DNA. Hey! Remember that God does not have blood the way we have blood and the way we think about DNA. Hey. So if you and I are to be attached to God, then the one thing that is God has to be in us. And what is God? God is spirit. Hey! Are we together? And so when his spirit is bequeathed to you, your status changes. You are a son of God. As we submit to the spirit of God, God's nature and character grows within us, making us more and more like God. As we submit to God. That's why the scripture says that for as many as are led by the spirit of God, it's not meant to be a static thing. You're filled, now I'm okay. No. You see, it is by virtue of us embracing God's divine nature within us that we are assured of the resurrection and the life at the end of this age. This is really important. You see, Jesus was declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness and by the resurrection of the dead. The Holy Spirit is cultivating within you the, the reality of holiness on a daily basis. The, if you submit to the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit is to make you holy because God is holy. Hey. The Holy Spirit brings God's civilization to become your reality. Yes. Are we together? Yes. As we submit to the Spirit of God, Within us is that witness that crystallizes where we are assured and certain that we are sons of God. That is why Jesus could not deny who he was before the, before the high priest, even though he knew it meant that he would die. Are we together? But then there's this now more interesting thing. This, the reality of the son of man. And this one we need to deconstruct a bit more because one of the key things that Jesus accomplished on the cross is he restored our ability to align to the original blueprint of who we are in God. You see, our original blueprint as man is encoded within the person of Christ. Are we together? Because that element of being a man is found in the Godhead in Christ. Are we together? And so, in order for us to understand this element of the Son of Man, we need to consider a few scriptures. You see, part of what it means to be a Son of Man means that 
you function like God on earth. And I know that is very ironic. Because you're a son of man, but you function like God on earth. Okay. But you're already a son of God. It sounds like, you know, a bit of, it sounds a bit confusing. And so I want us to understand why our likeness, you see, we are made in God's image and God's likeness. That element of us being in the likeness of God is captured in the person of Christ. If we consider the book of Psalms chapter 8, verse 4 to 6, this is what it reads. What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. I want us to consider something from this particular portion of scripture. It does not make sense for God to give a responsibility to a person who cannot function like him. you've made him have dominion over all the works of your hands isn't this scripture talking about Christ but why do I find myself in this scripture why do I find myself in this scripture are we together Yes. you see God has given you the ability to function like God to function like God on his behalf with regard to his assignment of a creation. Are we together? And that is why he has given you dominion over the works of his hands. God is part of what it means for you to be a son of man is such that God invests his glory and honor upon you. Are we together? Because if you are not in his God class, you would not be able to handle his glory and his honor. Are we together? So every time you see Jesus being bequeathed glory and honor, consider that in Christ, God has also bequeathed glory and honor to you. If you're struggling to understand who you are as an individual, consider that in Christ, there's a glory and an honor that he has given to you. I want us to also look at how Christ lived on earth because Christ came to be the model and the example of what it was meant to look like for man to be man. Are we together? Yes. Let's go to the book of Mark chapter 2 verse 9 to 10. You see, when we fail to unlock who we are as sons of men, We live a life that is similar to animals that live on earth that are driven by their instincts and desires. That is why you will find people coming and saying, oh, I just want to walk naked. Because that's what animals do, truffles. That's how far they have fallen from the original blueprint as mankind. It's not a laughing matter it is a sad state because that's the extent to which deception has robbed them of their identity. Are we together? I want us to consider Mark chapter 2 verse 9 to 10. This is what Jesus says. What is, 
whether it is easier to say to the sick of the palsy, thy sins are forgiven thee, or to say, arise and take up thy bed and walk? But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, sins he saith to the sick of the palsy. So, this is the story of where Jesus forgave the sins of the man that was paralytic. And he made a very bold statement in the hearing of the scribes and the Pharisees. Thy sins are forgiven. And you know what the Pharisees and the scribes said? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Uh -huh. That is what it looks like to be a son of man. In the original rendering in Christ. Hey. That you do things like God. Only God could forgive sins. Jesus forgave sins. Let us consider another example. Matthew chapter 20 verse 27 to 28. Jesus came to serve men like God. Matthew chapter 20 verse 27 to 28. This is what it reads. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now consider for a moment. It's one thing for us to serve. If we, we probably, if, if we are incentivized well enough, we can serve each other. And you know, incentivized, I mean, probably if you're being paid a good, handsome reward. Someone will serve even if they hate you. But it is unlike the nature of man to serve to the extent of giving your life for someone. That is contrary to human nature. And so Jesus came to serve man like God. Are we together? A normal person will not give their life. Only God can ransom his life so that he can redeem a people who have a nature that is contrary to his. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whomsoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Not something that man does, but something that only God can do. It's fascinating that when Jesus was speaking in the verse we read earlier in Matthew chapter 26, verse 64, he did not say that hereafter you will see the Son of God sitting at the right hand of the power. Uh -huh. mm. He said in Matthew chapter 26, verse 64, that hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power. Yeah. We need to understand why this is a very significant event. When Stephen was being stoned, do you know who he saw sitting at the right hand of power? I want us, I want us to interrogate the, the intentionality of the word of God. Let's go to Acts chapter 7 verse 54. Acts chapter 7 verse 54. Just so that we understand how intentional God is in the words that are used. Yeah. When they had these things, they were cut to the heart. This is when persecution was, was breaking forth. And they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus, standing at the right hand of God, and said, Look, 
I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. I want us to consider that for a moment. Where are you seated in Christ Jesus? The Bible says that we are seated in Christ in heavenly places. So it is not by coincidence that when we see Christ, the image that we see of him is the Son of Man. Consider that for a moment. You see, every reference of Jesus where we read and see that statement, Son of Man, is an example of the possibilities that are available to us. The virtue of him being seated by the right hand of the Father as the Son of Man means that in Christ, all things are possible. Yes, yes. All things are possible to you as a Son of Man and as a Son of God. Mm. You know, it's, it's really unfortunate because as I talk about these things, it may sound very far-fetched. It may sound very far-fetched until you redeem the possibilities that are made available in Christ. It will always sound far-fetched. Until you redeem those possibilities, it will always sound far-fetched. There's a time, I, 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 it was around 5.30, and I woke up and God spoke to me in a very clear way that I would know it's God. And you know what God said? When I said greater works than this you will do, I meant it. Uh-huh. I've never recovered from that statement. When Jesus said greater works than this you will do, he meant it. He meant it of our generation. How can we do greater works than him if we have not found our position at the right hand of the Son of Man? Because it is in that place that God teaches us how to truly be sons in our generation, to be sons of God. I want us to consider something. Before Moses went to Egypt as a God, he went into a very unique curriculum. He went through a very unique curriculum. I, I, I call it, in, in God's uh, divine school, there's a specific uh, faculty for miracles, signs, and wonders. Very few of us have chosen to, uh, to enroll to it because it will cost you your life. Because the admission into that faculty is your life so that his life can find expression in you through it. Moses, you know, when we consider the dialogue Moses had with God, he would, he would be like, oh God, why send someone else? I don't want you to send me. I'm a stammerer. Every excuse that Moses would give that would betray his humanity, God countered it. How am I going to get the attention? Okay, put your, put your, throw your stuff down. <laughs> Moses, for the first time, his stuff came alive. He ran away. <laughs> he had never imagined such a thing could happen. Moses is told, put your hand in your pocket. It comes out, leprosy. Moses is told, something to do with the water, it becomes blood. Moses was taught how to perform the miracles. Why are we trying to manifest ourselves before the time that God has appointed for us to be manifest? You see, it is in that place of submitting to the Son of Man that God will teach you how to be a God on the face of the earth. Yes! 
I want us to consider something just to just to piggyback on what Reverend Richard was saying today. This was the testimony. Let's go to Daniel chapter 5, verse 11. This was the testimony of a heathen. How do I call her? She was the wife of King Nebuchadnezzar and the mother of Belshazzar. So she was the queen mother. Yes, that's the right word. This was her testimony. There is a man in thy kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. Where did Daniel capture the spirit of the holy gods? Where do you think Daniel was when he captured the spirit of the holy gods? And in the days of thy father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods. Put in another way, the reason why Daniel was so effective such that he served across four different regimes was because he was like a god on the face of the earth. That is your portion when Jesus says, greater works than this you shall do. But... What demand have we placed such that this becomes our reality? When, when, when God was bringing this to my, to, to my attention, I put myself in all of our position because all of us have to take a responsibility to explore the vast expanse of the finished work of Christ at the cross of Calvary. It is not just for one man. The question I have for us from this section is, are you placing a demand in growing in the knowledge of God's finished work? Mm. Mm. If you are placing a demand on God's finished work, there are some things that a pastor won't tell you. There are some things that you will take initiative I want us to consider the mystery of the head and the body. You see, the mystery of the head and the body is the mystery of unity and diversity. Yeah, yeah. That is why I love how we are seated. Because how we are seated is a type of this mystery, unity and diversity. Yeah. You see, it is a mystery that reveals that each of us has a distinct role to function each of us has a distinct role or function to play in the body of Christ and that none of us is insignificant. Hey! None of us is insignificant. I want us to go to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 from verse 4 to 7. We will jump around 1 Corinthians chapter 12 so that this can land home with finality. Verse 4 and 7 in the New King James Version, this is how it reads. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Hey. You know, 
it's sad when as believers we give prominence to certain gifts above others. It is very sad. Come on. Because all gifts, all ministries, all diversities of activities come from the Spirit of God. Yes. And they are ordained for the profit of all. Yes. I was talking to someone yesterday for breakfast and I was telling them that sometimes when God wants to bring you to the place of understanding your identity and function in him, he will use the context of the church to help you to capture the mysteries of who you are as an individual. Wow. Wow. If you do not capture, for example, that within ushering, as I usher and as I handle the people, there is something I'm stirring up within me, then you will handle it as a chore and not as a calling. You will limit yourself in terms of the extent to which you can go deeper in God because of your mindset. First Corinthians 12, 11. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Uh-huh. The Holy Spirit comes and gives us gifts. Yesterday we were at the birthday party of one of our daughters in the community, and she was elated at giving gifts, at getting and receiving gifts. And I thought to myself, you see, for toddlers, they will know when their birthday is coming. <laughs> they will know. And you will know that their birthday is coming. And they have a checklist of the things they want for their birthday. When was the last time you placed a demand to activate the gifts of the Spirit in your life? Oh my goodness. Hey! Hey! When was the last time? You see, First Corinthians, and I'm jumping ahead of myself, but let me just read this one. Towards the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, this is what it says. But honestly desire the best gifts. What qualifies a gift to be best? It is because it's aligned to the purpose and the calling of God for your life. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. If God has ordained for you to be a consultant, have you placed a demand of, on the gift of the word of knowledge and wisdom? Or are you just reading books by authors who wrote the content in the flesh? There has to be a mark of distinction. If truly you are a son of man and a son of God, you need to function like God. Meaning, you do the due diligence of going through the earthly curriculum, but you do not sidestep the divine curriculum. You enroll in it. Paul, after being called by God, had to enroll into his divine curriculum. That's why when he was teaching on the Lord's Supper, he had the audacity to say, I received this directly from Christ. It wasn't just a matter of what I heard the disciples say that they went through before Christ was crucified. I received it directly. I know the impact it has. That's why I can tell you authoritatively if you have the wrong attitude concerning this, that's why you're sick and some of you are dead. Because you do not capture the spiritual essence of it. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. To 14. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greek, whether slaves or free, 
and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. Let me finish reading the passage, then I will dissect some of these elements. Verse 27 to 31. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. And God has appointed this in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. But are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But honestly desire the best gifts. And yet I will show you a more excellent way. You see, we need to understand something. That God has placed all of us in his body. And each of us have a place and a function in it. All of us. If we consider the analogy of the body for a moment, the functioning of the body is a product and a function of the head. The cardiac rhythm of the heart is pre-programmed and overseen by the head, the brain. It coordinates all function. Some of us may be aware, you know, sometimes if you sleep at night badly and you cut the supply of the blood, the hand stops moving, true or false? And sometimes you have to try and restart the hand, right? Consider that the functioning of the body is a product of the coordination of the head. In order for this hand to move, my heart needs to be beating. Meaning that it is Jesus who configures the heart and the hand. No glory is greater to the heart or to the hand. But greater honor is given to the things that are not seen. Consider that for a moment. The capacity and the capability of the body is a function of the purpose and the administration of the head. If this body is going to be engaged in swimming... I have to capture the attitude that will cause me to discipline myself to swim. In order for Kipchoge to run the marathons and to set the track records that he set, he has to discipline himself. He has to endure great discipline, great, should I say, suffering. But to him, it's not suffering. It's the cost he must count to attain the results of excellence. Yes. The needs of every organ in the body are supplied to by the head as it interconnects every part together. Yes. I want us to consider that for a moment. When was the last time you thought to yourself, I need blood to come to this, this vein? <laughs> you know, you're going to the hospital and the doctor needs to check whether you're sick. And you're like, ah, now blood needs to come to this vein. Do it okay? Consider that everything that the body needs is often supplied by another part of the body. Are we together? If you don't eat well enough, your body won't have enough water. 
and if you do not have enough water, you will have an issue with your blood. True or false? If the hand is to move, the heart has to be beating. If the liver is to function properly, then there has to be, you know, a certain supply from the heart to the liver for it to function well. Are we together? Whenever an organ is cut off from the supply of the rest of the body, it withers and it dies. Yeah. But why are we, as believers, trying to function in isolation, thinking that we will retain our state of being alive in Christ at the sidelines? In fact, if you think about it, when an organ stops supplying to the body, it can be considered to be malfunctioning. And when an organ gets to the place that it completely stops working, it, start, it's, it gets to the place where it becomes a risk to the body and a decision might be made to remove it. Yeah. Yeah. But when an organ is functioning and providing its just supply, it is for the profit of the entire body. God has a calling and an election for each one of us. There's an ordination. And that ordination is meant to supply to the body so that the body can function effectively. Are you just still thinking about your comfort and your experience in life? Or are you paying, paying attention and laying an emphasis on what God desires of you as captured in your calling and your ordination. You see, God has not ordained for us to compete against each other, but for us to complement each other. Yes. He desires for us to honor one another. You see, we, I am able to honor, for example, Rob, when I see him walking in his identity and supplying according to the effectual measure working within him. Rob doesn't have to have self-esteem issues because he knows as he supplies, the very act of supplying in itself will cause that affirmation within him. Are we together? Yes. If you're struggling with affirmation, take, just do a stock check. Have you been able to capture your identity in Christ? Have you been able to capture and to embrace the calling and the election of God for your life? Are you treating it as a by the way? You know, I, I wasn't given a chance to choose, so I don't want to be a pastor. Does the heart choose that it wants to be a heart? <laughs> Today I don't want to pump blood. Is that how the body functions? Hey! Hey! Sometimes as men, and God looks at that and then <laughs> I don't know whether you get. It is an honor to know the name that God calls you. Yes. Because when you know that, there are many, you know, vain activities that will cease in your life. Yes. Because as you focus on that, the very result of it will fulfill every desire that you have. Yeah. You see, we need to understand something. Our ordinations in Christ will often begin manifesting with the budding of our spiritual gifts. It's like a tree. When you plant a seed, it will start growing. At some point, it will gain capacity to start showing leaves. The leaves represent those gifts. So 
So spiritual gifts and administrative capacities will start budding. But as we continue to journey with God, we grow in stature and function such that God can entrust us with greater dimensions of power to administrate and to attend to his burdens. Yes. Yes. You see, by the time God is calling you a pastor, he's saying, I have so many children that need a shepherd. Hey! And you have grown in stature. Come on. I want to separate you, to endow you with glory and honor so that you can walk these children to rest, yeah. that they may know me through you. Are we together? Yeah. That is how God thinks. But the problem with, that, with us is sometimes when spiritual gifts start budding, we camp around the spiritual gift. Yeah. And we don't grow anymore in our walk of faith. Or it happens that when God comes to you and tells you that you're called to be a prophet, you resist. You're like, ah, I've just, prophet equals suffering. I don't want suffering. You resist. And in resisting, you do not know what you're doing to yourself. There's a reason why the Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these other things shall follow. God has ordained to provide everything you need within the context of rest in him. Meaning that if you're not in the context of rest in him, the context of rest that is defined by the prophetic word of God, then you will miss out on everything that God ordained for you both to give and to receive. Are we together? But I also want us to consider something about how God deals with men. I want us to look at the book of Psalms, chapter 12, verse 6. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver tried in a furnace of earth purified seven times. We need to understand that it is not our discipline that makes us perfect as a body, but rather God's sanctifying work where he imparts himself into us. Are we together? We are not made perfect as a body because of our discipline. Aha. We are made perfect because of our surrender and yieldedness. Yes. And so because of that, God will take you through a furnace because of his words so that you can be acquainted with the purity and the integrity of his word because it is that nature that guarantees that his word is integral and it will come to pass that needs to find its way into you so that you can become an embodiment of that word. Are we together? Yes. Yeah. You see, God is more interested in us receiving his exchanged life instead of us trying to change and become something better based on our own limitations. Yes, yes. It is sad that we are more concerned about being promoted in the marketplace than in the kingdom of God. It's unfortunately true. We are more concerned about being promoted in the marketplace than in the kingdom of God. This one was harsh, even to me. Because we are so connected to the things that are tangible that we completely miss out of the kingdom of God. Believe it or not, there's a statement that was made on this altar a few years back, and the statement was to the effect that we have begun the kingdom age. Yes, yes. 
How are you aligning yourself to the kingdom age? Just think about that for a moment. You see, the purification process of times and seasons hammers us into a work of perfection that is suitable for executing the purpose of God per time and season. Come on, come on. Let's consider Numbers chapter 10, verse 1 to 4. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Make two silver trumpets for yourselves. For yourself. You shall make them of hammered work. You shall use them for calling the congregation and for directing the movements of the camps. When they blow both of them, all the congregation shall gather before you at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. But if they blow only one, then the leaders, the heads of the divisions of Israel shall gather to you. I want us to pause there. And I want us to consider something. That these two trumpets that would be used to coordinate the movement of the entire house of Israel were made from silver and they were hammered work. (laughs) Silver that is purified like how many times? Seven times in the furnace. (laughs) We need to allow ourselves to become God's instrument for fulfilling his purpose. It is his instrument and it is his purpose. If it is his instrument, again, still looking at the mystery of the head and the body, if it is his instrument, then he has the design of what this instrument should look like and the purpose for which it should serve. Meaning that in the dealings that he will take you through, he'll be aligning you into his blueprint of the kind of instrument you're meant to be. And your jurisdiction will be determined with, it will be determined based on the kind of thing he can trust you to do. Yes. Are we together? The extent to which you allow yourself to be consecrated in God's dealings determines when God can deploy you depending on what he wants to achieve and accomplish. You see, when we consider uh, fastings around chapter 18, 19, we never hear so much about the genealogy or the history of Elijah. We just see Elijah being deployed by God to deal with something that was bothering his heart. When Elijah gets onto the scene, he's not, he doesn't, he's not one of those polite people. He comes and he says there will be, you know, there will be famine for the next three and a half years. Until I say it with my word, there will be no rain. That is a man that has been purified like silver seven times, being brought to attend to a matter that is dear to God's heart. Have you allowed God to refine you? so that you can become his instrument in light of his purpose. You see, this refining process applies across everything that God has called you to. As a businessman, as an apostle, as a prophet, as an evangelist, in spite of what God has called you to, he has to work sonship within you. And this is the process that we're looking at. You see, the process that God takes us through to make us into his instrument is as unique as our specific identity in him. You see, how you take a drum and how you configure it is very different from how you prepare a saxophone. True or false? A drum, has, you have to get a certain kind of skin. You have to get a certain kind of skin. You have to configure it in a certain way. If it's the old traditional drums... That skin has to come from a certain height. It needs to be put in the sun. It needs to go through proper dealing. 
so that it is perfect for the use of the master. I know that there are people here who have received a word that they are going to be God's battle axe. And I was just thinking about the process in which God takes one who's called to be a battle axe. God has to present you upon the anvil of his word and hammer you into his design and into his shape. He has to cut you to be that perfect fit in light of the battles that he wants to present you in. The question I have for us is, to what extent have we submitted ourselves to the process of becoming that which God has ordained us to become? If we've not been able to capture the spiritual element of our callings, be it in the marketplace, be it in business, be it in ministry, then bado tunacheza kalongo. We're just playing around with life. And it is not my desire for God to wake us up, but I know God will wake you up if he loves you. When my father used to take me to school, he used to wake me up so that I go to primary school at a time that was not convenient to me. <laughs> 530 is not a convenient time to take a child to school. But he did it, you know, from one to, 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 to I mean, class one to class eight. Those are eight years of being woken up at 530. I got to a place where I had to wake myself up. I don't know that you see what I'm trying to say. Yeah. There's a place where God has to subject you to discipline to become that which he has ordained of you. Many believers are content with the idea of Christ, but very few are willing to allow him to direct the course of their lives. Very few people are willing to allow him to direct the course of their lives. Have you submitted yourself to Christ enough for him to consider you as an instrument he would reach out for in a, when he wants to perform a specific task? What? Do you even know the kind of tasks that God can deploy you to attend to? Yeah, yeah. And you've been born again for how long? Because you will know, I've come to realize God is so loving, he will sensitize you to the burdens you're ordained to carry. Those are the things. When you, when you capture something that is tugging at your heart, that is God telling you, hey, I need you to be deployed to attend to this because that is what I have configured you for. We unfortunately compete for greatness in church. Yet we forget that being great in God is a function of yielding to him. Mm and serving others according to his purpose. I want us to really check on the posture of our hearts today. Because God has called you for a very specific thing. And God has invested the entirety of heaven's arsenal for your becoming. I came to realize something very interesting before I go to the last section that God has ordained for me to be his tabernacle. But God has given me the opportunity to develop in such a way that the new Jerusalem is imprinted in my heart. What? That I am a carrier of the reality of the new Jerusalem. What demand are you placing 
on God based on your calling? Are you content on just being a businessman because it aligns with your interests? Or have you captured God's interest in you being a businessman? You know, the challenge of being in the, a minister is that it is very possible for me to become a hireling. That's why I agreed with what Reverend Richard said. I have to be very circumspective in how I walk so that I do not become a hireling. I have to have the heart of the shepherd in my heart. Yes. To what extent have we captured the heart of the shepherd? I will not go for, to the mountains. Mountains, Apple, it's an derail. <laughs> but there's a mountain that God has called you to capture fast in your heart before it becomes a reality in the marketplace. You have to go beyond the veil of visibility to see the day when every mountain, every hill submits to the mountain of the Lord, where the nations come to submit their glory in that holy hill. Hey! Then you will capture and understand the glory that needs to be redeemed in your gate in society. I want to invite Troy for this one. This one is... Son is, is, is this last portion is very interesting. I, I need a bit of help from Roy for this one. The groom and the bride. The groom and the bride. The last pattern of Christ will be looking at for this series. You see, the mystery of the groom and the bride is the mystery of intimacy with God. I had to, I had to end with this one so that if you forget every other thing I've said, this one, Mshike. The mystery of intimacy with God. We have a number of people who are married here. When you are courting your wife to be or your husband to be, would you talk with them for 30 minutes and then call it a day? <laughs> would you hang out with them for breakfast for one hour? And then say adios. I have bills to pay. I need to go and make ends meet. Is that what you did? I guarantee you very many people would not be married <laughs> if that is how you handled your spouse back when you were dating. But that is how we handle the love of our souls. Sometimes, and this one I have thought about uh, why is there no marriage in heaven? But no marriage is sweet. <laughs> why can't there be marriage in heaven? I, I have tried to find out and to reason, but Jesus said there's no marriage in heaven. And so everything I experience in marriage is a type. Aha! Aha! How much do we prioritize intimacy with God? In 1 Corinthians 6.17, we read, But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. His desires become my desires. His thoughts become my thoughts. Not that I am acquainted with them, but that I am submitted to them. Those are two different levels of engagement. 
I know God's thoughts for me, his good plans for me, but not only do I know them, I am submitted and committed to them. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands. To what extent are you subject to Christ? You see, the groom loves you. The groom has given himself for you. The groom has made himself available. He is more than able and willing to address your flaws, your infirmities, your insecurities. He will sanctify you and cleanse you by the washing of water by the word. He will dress you with his glory. But how many of us have honored the invitation to dine with him? God has been making a clarion call. Come and dine with me, my bride. Come and dine with me, my bride. How many of us have honored that invite? You see, a story, a story is told in the Bible of this lady. Her name is Ruth. And she had a mother-in-law called Naomi. There's something unusual that made her cling to Naomi to the point that she made a covenant and said, your people shall be my people. Your God shall be my God. I will not depart from you unless death separates us. That's the hard posture of Ruth. Because of that hard posture, she submitted to Naomi. When Naomi saw her breakthrough, when Naomi perceived her groom, he, she dispatched her with an instruction, delegated authority, and told her to go and wait upon him. When, he, when Boaz is cheerful and at rest, wait at his feet. She derived her wisdom. She waited at the feet of Boaz until midnight when he woke up and discovered that someone was at his feet. How long are we, wait, are we willing to wait in God's presence? Do we know the things that make him glad in our lives? Do we know the things that break his heart? Have we covenanted ourselves to him in truth? that your people shall be my people. That Jesus, your God, will be my God. That your Father will be my Father. That your purpose will be my purpose. You know, intimacy is a very interesting thing because it is very difficult to be intimate in public. It is impossible. Intimacy is a reality in your heart. A wife will know when her husband is intimate with her because his every action will only confirm that which is a reality in his heart. And a husband will know if the bride is committed to her because her every action is in submission to him. 
Have you provoked the jealousy of God in your life? By loving other things instead of him. You see, when a husband is jealous, the Bible describes that feeling as a feeling that is very difficult to appease. It is very difficult to appease the jealousy of our husband. A husband can kill because of jealousy. Please, don't mess with a husband's jealousy. They will forget they're born again. That's according to the word, not according to me. Yeah, you're right. They will not receive any appeasement if they are provoked to jealousy. It is such a, 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 a poignant issue that God had to describe it in the law. Yes, that if a husband was provoked to jealousy, there had to be a test. Yes, a test. Have you provoked jealousy in God for your life? A story is told of a woman in the days of Jesus. And this woman was known not for her virtue but for her vice. But this woman knew how to capture the move of God. She knew that Jesus was eating in the house of a Pharisee. She did not care what opinion the religious folk would have of her. Yeah. She went with the very thing that was most precious to her because she had already lost every other virtue. The very thing that was precious to her by virtue of her trade, that alabaster box. Hey. She went and she broke it at Jesus' feet. And she cried to wash his feet with her tears and wiped his feet with her hair. To what extent have you captured the love of God for you? It is sad to hear that when we come into the house of our husband, the groom, yeah. that we come full of righteousness that is as filthy as a rug, reeking of carnality. How can we encounter God when the very stench of our sins is repulsive to him. This woman came with a heart posture. Jesus described her and said that this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. This woman had a posture of affection towards him. They had never met, but she had heard the story of Christ. She had heard the fame of this man from Galilee. And she knew that if she gave him her all, she would be covered. This was the response that Jesus gave. That he who has been forgiven much, loves much. Ah. Can I tell the extent of your relationship with God by the love that you have for him? Ah. Some of us behave in a manner likely to suggest that we are not sinners. And that we do not have any stake. In judgment we need to take time and to take stock of what God has done for us we need to take time and to understand that the groom is looking to perfect us he's calling us to the secret place 
the secret place of encounter. Yes. You see, when we consider the scripture that is found in Ephesians chapter 5, I believe verse 25, there's no way Christ can clothe you and cleanse you and wash you if you're not naked before him. You cannot cleanse someone. I think, let's go to verse 26. You cannot cleanse someone who's not naked before you. Are you vulnerable before God? Or have you found solace in the things that the world has made you? See, intimacy is something very difficult to understand if you do not experience it. You're either intimate with God or you're not. You're either found in the secret place of God, with God or not. The Bible says that he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide in the shadow of the Almighty. That is the place God ordained for his bride to dwell. When you, when the bride abides in the shadow of the Almighty, then she will demonstrate the glory of the Almighty. If the church is void of glory, it is because it is not found in the secret place with her groom. You know, it's fascinating that as a church, if Christ lives, sometimes we don't even discern it. In fact, how are you working with God? Are you aware? How sensitive are you to his presence? When you pray in your prayer closet, are you sensitive to his move in your life? Today I want to give us an opportunity to respond to that which you've been able to capture from God during this entire series. You see, it is not... God did not ordain the ministry of the word to be an intellectual engagement. God ordained for the ministry of the word to be an experiential encounter that ushers you into realities and realms in the deep. When a man is married, when a woman is married, their lives are never the same again. If you look around, everyone who's married, there's a glory that rests on them. When you choose to give yourself to the groom that is Christ, there's a glory that rests on you. When you choose to submit yourself to Christ, a transformation, a metamorphosis happens in your life. When we look at your life, can we see Christ? I want us to take time and to pray. I want us to pray and ask God that he would come and that he would reign in our hearts once again. That he would reign as the shepherd of our souls. 
that he would strengthen us as the vine strengthens the branch that he would lead us as a son submits to the father that he will come and tabernacle and be that witness within us that we are truly sons of God that he will introduce us to our true nature in him that we will find our placements within the body as we submit to the head that we will become perfected as his bride I want us to pray as we come before God